0: If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope you do, turn with me to Romans chapter two. Romans chapter two. Uh, we're going to be a, a few different places, and so I would encourage you to follow along in your Bible or on the screen. Now you can also pull up all of our scripture passages to look in front of you on your digital device, phone, or tablet uh, by opening up our bulletin online. It's at fbcrobinson.com slash resources. Uh, If you go there or if you go to fbcrobinson.com, scroll down enough, you'll find the bulletin. Open that up and tap the sermon notes, uh, and that'll open up a detailed sermon outline this morning. It'll also give you all of our scripture passages there in front of you that match what we're reading uh, this morning. In Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, we're going to be asking the question this morning, where does morality come from? So last week we had a guest speaker. We're excited to have our our missionary from Wales come and share with us. But the four weeks before that, we were asking big questions. We finished a series entitled Big Questions, and it was questions that unbelievers often ask Christians and how we should respond to it or what the Bible says about those particular issues. And so we didn't hit every big question there is. Sometimes uh, people will ask us things that we don't have answers for right away. Let me encourage you that if that happens, don't be afraid or nervous. Simply say, I don't know the answer to that. But then say this, but I'll look and try to find out. Then study scripture yourself. Come and talk to me, your Sunday school teacher, one of our deacons, someone who you you trust, a friend or family member who's grounded well in the word. Ask them and then go back. Okay? Don't don't push those questions aside and don't be afraid of those questions. It's okay to say, I don't know. But something else I want to look at for the next two weeks is not so much questions that non-believers ask Christians, but I want to turn the tables just a little bit. You know, there are plenty of questions that Christians should have for atheists. Questions that our faith answers well, but that an unbelief in God does not answer well. It's very difficult to, to come up with these answers. I think there are three sample categories. This probably isn't all of them, but, but I think it's helpful to think of three different types of questions that you can ask unbelievers and maybe get them thinking about their, their unbelief. The first category, I would say, is is scientific, and it's kind of ironic that that's a good question to ask, because a lot of times, unbelievers want to attack the Bible or Christians with science. Do you know there's a lot of science that is unknown to the world, but is revealed in Scripture? Two major questions you can ask, and we're not going to do a whole sermon on this, but but two good questions in this category are... How did the universe originate? Where did it come from? I really like this question because the truth is there is no answer if you don't believe in God. Everyone believes, by the way, this is a a fun thing to discuss with your atheist friends, okay? Everyone believes that there was nothing and then the universe all of a sudden was created and there was something. Whether you're a believer in God or whether you're a believer in the Big Bang. The Big Bang says there was nothing and then an explosion happened, and there was everything. So we can have some agreement with our lost friends. There was nothing, and then there was something. But let me ask you, if you really want to hurt their brains, I'm going to hurt your brain a little bit. Which makes more sense? That nothing took nothing and created something, or that something took nothing and created something? All right, now you're trying to process that question. That's good, because that's going to make the atheist go, huh? It makes a whole lot more sense that there was something God who could take nothing and make something Then there is to have nothing. There is no one. And nothing takes nothing, and all of a sudden there's something. It just doesn't make sense. Ask that question. Where did the universe come from? Or how about this? What about the complexity of the universe? How is it that our earth is so perfectly situated? How can you look at the, the structure of of how creatures are made and see the intricate details and think it just accidentally happened. There, there's a whole classification of scientific questions that make atheists' heads explode because they cannot answer them. And, and the good scientists will admit we have no answers. That's when you swoop in and say, There's a book about that that has some of those answers. The second category is what we're going to focus on this morning, and that's the category of morality. We're going to ask the question, where did morality come from? How do we know what's right and what's wrong? Why does everyone seem to have a sense of right and wrong? What do we do with our conscience? We're going to talk about that this morning. And the third category is more spiritual or religious. These aren't questions necessarily that atheists are even asking But there are questions that make them think. And so next week, we're going to look at questions like, is there an afterlife? How do you know if there's an afterlife? Or or how do you know there's not an afterlife? What if there is an afterlife? What does that look like? They're, They're questions that just make people think. So we're going to skip over the science. I can give you resources for that. But some of you all have told me I'm not a scientific person. I don't want to hear about stars and galaxies and universe. We'll save that for a study another time. We're going to focus on these two categories of question this morning, namely morality. And I want to ask the question, where does morality come from? How do we know what's right? And how do we know what's wrong? An evolutionist really struggles with this question. Because they can't come to grips with with how we have evolved as human beings to have similar morals. And so there's several theories that, that as I'm studying for this lesson, I come across several ideas of where we get this idea of right from wrong, but they don't know. They're just guessing. So first, I think it's important to acknowledge that just because an atheist doesn't know where morality comes from doesn't mean they can't understand morality And the reason why I say this is there are a lot of Christians who have been attacking how can you be an atheist and have any morals? Well, it's pretty easy. There's a lot of really good people who don't believe in God. Can we admit that for just a moment? As a matter of fact, there are some extremely moral people who don't believe in God or or anything about religion whatsoever. So the question is not how can you be moral? The question is how are you moral? Why is it that people have a moral sense? How do we know what's right and what's wrong? There's several theories from atheists that they have. One is, and this is very common, morality is what each person determines is right and wrong. So your morality is different from my morality. This is right for me, but it's wrong for you. But don't tell me that it's wrong for me because it's right for me and that's wrong for you. And each person kind of has their own set of morals. And over time, it has evolved to kind of be this collective idea of, well, this is what most people think is right or this is what most people think is wrong. It's very individualized. There's major flaws and problems with that, namely being that we have a whole criminal system that says it doesn't matter whether it's right for you or wrong for you, it's wrong and you're going to jail, right? So we understand that individual morality just, it doesn't work. We all understand that murder is wrong. You can't tell me that it's right for you. It's, it's just wrong. A second theory that people have is, is that morality is what brings the most happiness to the most people. So it's not individualized anymore, it's more of a, of a, of a joy, Does this make people happy, or does it make them sad? When you do that, then a lot of morality becomes about emotions and feelings, and then it gets individual again. What brings me happiness is different from what brings you happiness. And so some things are good for me, but they're bad for you. So we'll say they're right in some instances, wrong in some instances, and the problem is the same problem we have with the individual issue. We all have our own standard, and we have to ask ourselves, how do we know that murder is wrong. I've been to Walmart um, a little less this year than normally, but still often enough, and Walmart brings out emotions in people that other places don't. Usually, I'm fairly calm and collected, but there are people at Walmart that would really, really make me happy if I could punch them in the nose. Like, I, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but that would bring me the most happiness. Namely, and I don't want to say I'd hit any of you all in here if you're guilty of this, but there's arrows on the floor telling you which way to walk, and I'm trying to be a good citizen. Follow the arrows for crying out loud, right? Sometimes I want to take my cart and be like a bulldozer, and if you're going the wrong way, that's about six feet, right? Wham, 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 and just all the way through. That would bring me a lot of happiness. But I I think that would be immoral, right? I think we can agree that would be more. So it can't just be about happiness. Another theory that unbelievers have is that morality is what society or what the majority determines is moral. So we, we kind of almost take a, a poll, right? Who thinks this is right and who thinks this is wrong? And so as long as the, the majority of people say it's right, then it must be right. The major flaw in this is that societies sometimes are wicked and evil. The greater good it makes sense in some situations and not in others. It makes sense in this way. If I went to the doctor with an infection in my foot and I talked to him for a little while, he did some tests, he, he examined it, and he said, your foot has gangrene and we have to amputate your foot. And I understand that what is bad for my foot, namely cutting it off, is good for the rest of my body. It's the greater good. I don't like it, I don't want it, but, but I understand that The moral thing for my body would be to do something bad for my foot that's good for the rest of my body. That's what's best for the most of me. But let's apply this to a a larger scale. I like the Avengers movies. I don't know if you've seen them. I'm going to give you a few spoilers if you've not. Sorry, but I'm not sorry. The main villain in Avengers, the the movie's Avengers, is a, a villain named Thanos. And his goal is to eliminate half of all beings, living beings. And here's his rationale. His rationale is that the universe has finite resources. And there is poverty and hunger and starvation because there are too many consumers of that energy. If we eliminate half of all living creatures, then there's more for everyone else. It's the greater good. It may not be good for the people who die, but it's good for everybody left. And he goes from planet to planet, wiping out half of their population. And what do you know? Those planets begin thriving. He says they have full bellies. And he wants to do it for the entire universe. Of course, we look at that and say, that's the greater good. It makes sense, right? That's what's good for the entire universe. But I've yet to meet a single individual, watch the Marvel movies and say, that Thanos, that's who I want to dress up for for Halloween, right? That's who I want to be, right? I've yet to find anyone who said... He's got the right idea if we could only follow Thanos. No. That movie is written so that we understand it doesn't matter that it's for the greater good. There's something wrong with eliminating people from the universe. The the best illustration, real-life illustration we have of this is in the 20th century, early 20th century, when an entire society in Europe decided it was acceptable and best For the progress of the human race That we eliminate all Jewish people That was what the entire Nazi regime The society agreed on And and actually Started acting out We had a world war To fight and understand that it didn't matter What that society said There was something morally wrong With killing people based on their Race, right? We we learned this clearly Clearly So it can't be what's best for society, because sometimes society gets it wrong. We acknowledge there's something wrong with what society believes. The the most recent thing I found that atheists try to say is that morality is similar to the laws of physics. It's just there. We don't know exactly how it works, but there's, just like there's laws of physics, there's laws of morals that all people must follow, and of course that breaks down because where physics can be tested, morality cannot. Right? Science can authoritatively talk about the laws of physics because they can test them. It's impossible to test right and wrong. You can't test morality. There's nothing scientific about morality, there's no answer for that. So, what we're left with is this without a standard of morality, without a hard line, this is what's right and this is what's wrong, we have no idea how we should live. It's impossible. There has to be a standard. There has to be something that we can turn to and look to. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says that standard is. Well, we could do a whole sermon. Actually, we have done whole sermons on, on where we learn from this standard. But instead of doing a sermon focused on that, I want to say, let's just turn to the standard. The standard for morality for a believer has to be God himself and what he has written for us in his word. This is our standard for right and wrong. There's a source. There's a place we can turn to for answers. It's not something that's evolved. It's not something that we've guessed. It's something we've asked your opinion about. This book was literally written so that God's words and his morals could be shared with us. This morning's sermon isn't about The fact that God's word is the moral standard, we accept that as Christians. This is trying to answer the question, how in the world are we going to understand that all people, whether they believe this word or not, have similar moral standards? Read with me in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. As you're you're turning there, Paul is writing and, and asking the question, how do the Gentiles who don't have the Old Testament law know what's right and what's wrong? How do they know what their morals are? And here's what he writes in verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law... By nature, do what law requires. They are law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Now listen to his explanation. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them. What we find is that God, according to Paul, has written morality on the hearts of all individuals. We know where it comes from now. It's not a question of, of where it evolved. It is God who put it on the hearts of people. So there's, there's two applications I think we can learn from, from this. Two ideas that we understand where morality comes from. And, and you can take notes, fill these in if you want. Uh, the, the first is this truth. Morality is a stamp of God's image. Morality is a stamp of God's image. The reason why you and I know right from wrong intrinsically in a lot of areas of life is because we are created as as image bearers of the moral God. The fact that God is moral and we bear his image means that we have some of that morality on us. We understand we're, we're creating the image of God. Genesis 1.27 tells us this deep truth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. There's all sorts of studies on what the image of God is. Is it what we look like? Is it what we do? Is it the work we have? Is it is it our value? I can't give you full answers on that, but what I can tell you, whatever the image of God means, it must include... A Reflection of God's character. By the way, believers and non-believers alike are created in the image of God and reflect to some degree God's character. They understand through conscience morality on the big issues. It's why every culture throughout the history of the world has had a sense that murder and rape and even mostly adultery is wrong. It's written on our hearts that that is not what human beings are to do. Just as God reveals himself through the physical creation in Romans 1.20, he reveals himself through the conscience in Romans chapter 2. So in Romans chapter 1, God is saying, look at the trees and the sky and the created beings. Look at everything around us and know that there is a God. Romans 1.20 puts it this way. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, so that in the things that have been made, so they're without excuse. Paul says, you can look at creation and know God exists. So you have no excuse. And in chapter 2, he says, it's not only you can look at the physical creation, but you can actually look at your own heart and conscience. We read this in Romans 2.15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Paul is saying you can look at the physical world, you can look at the spiritual world, and you can see God's imprint because morality... Is implanted in our hearts. It is a stamp of God's image. So that means believers and non-believers alike can understand some things of right and wrong. There's a source. But then we have to ask the question, why is it then? Why is it that if we are all made in God's image, why don't we all do right things? Why don't we have morality Always up front and center. Why do we move away from God's standard in his word? Why do we do wrong things and why do, we, why do we fall? I think that's because morality is distorted because of sin. You can even write if you're taking notes, God's image in our lives is distorted because of sin. Adam and Eve were created perfect and they perfectly reflected who God was. But the moment sin entered the world, the moment we fell from perfection, at that moment, we no longer perfectly bear God's image. Instead of reflecting who God is, we reflect broken pieces of God. It's as if we're looking at ourselves in a mirror that has been shattered. We can see the pieces, but we can't see fully. And I don't know if you've ever dropped a TV before. Um, My dad, uh, who is a uh, ingenious person of uh, resource, um, one of their many moves when I was younger had a a large screen TV, box TV, you know, that uh, had been damaged in the move, had been dropped and shaken, and so the top left corner had this like pinkish, purplish color that bled through about halfway through the screen. Have you ever experienced that on a TV? Yeah, that's kind of what it's like seeing the image of God now. You don't get the true colors. I, I didn't realize until I hung out with my dad that, that sometimes Kentucky basketball players wore pink jerseys, but only when they were on the left half of the court. They did a quick change when they went to the right half of the court, you know. You can see what's on there. You can tell what's being watched, but, but you can't necessarily see the whole clear picture. Of course, my dad, being a, the genius that he was, just got a new TV, but it was smaller, and instead of, of putting it on a TV stand, he just put that new TV on top of the old TV, which also broke, by the way, and he put a third TV. Yes, he had a triple tower of TVs that eventually all three of them didn't work. But that's beside the point. Right? We view things, but we don't view them clearly.? Right? We, we see the image, but it's broken, it's shattered, it's distorted, it's discolored, and that's what's happened with morality. We see God's image in knowing murder is wrong, but we see it distorted when there are people who say, but it's not wrong if they've not been born yet. We take the truth of what God has shown us and we twist it into our own image. We see the fragments of morality, but because of sin, we don't clearly see the picture of what God has implanted on our hearts. By the way, that is why we cannot trust our own hearts or anyone else's. That's why God needed to give us the standard. Because the standard that was originally written on our hearts is shattered and broken. Sometimes the channels come in clearly, but often we can't see the whole picture and we need clarification. We understand that sin has distorted our lives so that our own hearts are now deceptive. Proverbs 19, verse 21, says it this way. There are many plans in the mind of a man, but it's the Lord, the purpose of the Lord, that will stand. There are a lot of things that we think we know, that we understand to be right, but but God's will and God's purpose is what is truth. Judges chapter 17, verse 6, shows us the picture of our modern day world through the lens of the world during the time of the judges. Repeated in Judges 17 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, no standard of living. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's when morality becomes individualized. What's right for me may not be right for you, and what's right for you may not be right for me. We understand that God has written His moral code on our hearts. Because it's distorted, we must go to the source of that moral code and know what God's word says. But we're living in a society, we're living in a culture, and dare I say, we even have a church full of people who often view what's right and wrong through our own broken lenses. Your morality. My morality, not even thinking about the culture, our own Christian morality cannot be trusted because of the sin in our lives. So, as we wrap up, we, we have to ask ourselves the question then how, how is it that we can restore the image of God? How can we get back that clear moral code, the right and wrong? How can we make things whole again? Well, we know we cannot live up to the standard of God on our own. We are broken things, shattered televisions with fuzzy pictures that do not accurately reflect God's image. So we cannot do it by ourselves. So God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, was not distorted, and properly reflected God's image because He was God Himself. Instead of of living a perfect life as an example and moving on to show us we can't do it, he took the punishment that we deserved for our brokenness and died on a cross. He took our sins and our brokenness away. What is more, he didn't just remove our sins, he took all of his perfection and put it on us. So now, as a believer, walking in the Spirit, you properly reflect the image of God. I should say, you can properly reflect the image of God. We still are broken, we still fall, but we're able to because of the cross of Christ. So Romans 10, verse 9 tells us that everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That is, you know what's right, and I'm going to do your will and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that is, I trust that you died for my sins and saved me from my sins, you will have a restored relationship with God. You are able to carry out his moral truth. So this morning as we ask this question, where does morality come from? It's a great question to ask unbelievers and get them thinking, but I think this morning if we can just take a moment and ask ourselves, am I living out God's morals in my life? My standing on the truth of his word. As a believer in Jesus Christ, am I accurately reflecting the image of God the way I've been saved to do? And what is it in my life that I need to line up more with the authority of God's truth? Let's pray together. Father, you are a good God, a moral God, and a perfect God. We thank you for giving us a standard by which to live. Father, this morning as we examine our own hearts, let us ignore the immorality of culture for just this moment. And let us ask the question, God, how am I failing to reflect your image? Lord, turn us to your word. Let us understand the conscience of our heart, and thank you for that, but let us be reminded that that it's distorted because of our sin. Let us stay grounded and rooted in your truth. Lord, make us people and individuals who reflect you in the salvation you've given us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.